0: I would just uh, like to say to you that I have appreciated very much opportunity to spend some time with you. I appreciate your questions, your comments. And in the words of Isaiah the prophet, you're a great bunch. Tonight, I feel compelled to take the role of a prophet. I don't particularly like being a prophet. Uh, Prophets are in your face kind of people, usually a bit angry. I prefer to be a pastor, to come up beside you, to help you stand. But sometimes you are called upon to be a prophet. And tonight I might as well face you with it. I believe, and what I know of you, that many of you, most of you, are prejudiced. I know you don't like that, you become defensive, but it's true. Most of you, all of you, are prejudiced against snakes. (laughs) You don't like snakes. If a swarm of snakes moved into the vacant lot in your neighborhood, you'd be upset you'd be sure they're going to lower the property value. Or if your daughter brought a snake home for dinner, everybody at the table would be a bit uneasy. No, you are prejudiced against snakes. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, there are about 2,400 different varieties of snakes wiggling around the planet. Most snakes are good snakes. Snakes kill rodents. If it weren't for snakes, you'd be up to your kneecaps and rats and mice. But you don't think about that, do you? No. When you think about snakes, you think about rattlesnakes or cobras, water moccasins, pythons. What you do is to let a few bad snakes give all the good snakes a bad name and that is prejudice (laughs) I will give you this though there are some very dangerous snakes in fact one of the most dangerous snakes I know is a good snake that's turned bad we've had to deal with good snakes turned bad for 2,500 years in fact, a young king by the name of Hezekiah had to deal with a good snake turned bad. Hezekiah came to the throne of Judah when he was 25 years of age. wasn't a boomer, wasn't a buster. He was not even a revolutionary. And like many young people, he was fed up with the setup and the setup in Judah wasn't very good militarily the nation was a joke its armies could not protect its cities economically the nation was broke because of a failed political policy of paying off invaders the coffers of the nation were empty and morally and spiritually the nation was a cesspool. And Hezekiah came to the throne of uh, Israel, this 25-year-old. And under his leadership, there came the greatest revival that Judah had ever experienced. I uh, appreciate Hezekiah, because when he uh, brought this great spiritual emphasis to the nation, he didn't have any help his daddy was no help his father was a man by the name of Ahaz and he was a wicked king and a weak king that's a terrible combination and the the, uh, power brokers in the city kicked him upstairs made him king emeritus and put Hezekiah in his place under Hezekiah there came a great revival whenever you have a revival either in the Bible or outside the Bible there are three things that are present maybe more than this but not less than this there's always a a dealing with sin a drastic dealing with sin there's also a return to the word of God and to the God of the word and third there is a renewal of worship those are three things present in any revival and you can see that present in uh, Hezekiah's reign the record of his reign begins in uh, 2nd Kings chapter 18 the historian says in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah king of Israel Hezekiah son of Ahaz king of Judah began to reign He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord just as his forefather David had done. He attacked sin. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. The high places were uh, places in which there were altars to all the gods that uh, the people imported. Usually on a high hill close to heaven. And they were all over. At one mark of uh, the pagan religion, it was very convenient. I mean, you didn't have to make a long trip down to Jerusalem to worship. Any high hill, put an altar. Didn't have to disturb your golf game in order to worship. Then it says that um, he smashed the sacred stones. Uh, This is a way of mixing uh, business and religion. Uh, The sacred stones were the ways that uh, pagans tried to seek the mind of God. Whenever a farmer was going to plant a crop or whenever a businessman is going to do a deal, they consulted the sacred stones. And then it says he cut down the Asherah poles. The Asherah poles were stylized trees where the people worshipped the goddess of fertility. And under those trees there took place unspeakable sexual perversion. Hezekiah knew he had to deal with that. And so he tore down the altars. He uh, cut down those stones and he brought those trees down. He attacked sin at the center of the people's lives. And then it says in uh, verse 5 that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord the God of Israel there was no one like him all the, of all the kings of Judah either before him or after him he, fell, he held fast to the Lord did not cease to follow him Hebrew verb that says he fell, held fast to the Lord could be translated he was glued to God Because of that, he took God's word seriously. And then there was a third thing he did. Attack sin at the center of life. He was uh, attached to God and God's word. But it says up in verse 4 that he broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it it was called Nehushtan. now that was a good snake that was not some Egyptian snake that had been imported to Judah it was a good snake in fact it was a snake that was 500 years old you could say it was a good old snake It had played an important part in the history of the Jewish people. After they left uh, Egypt and they came into the wilderness, the people complained. I mean, they complained about everything. They didn't like the ambience. I mean, this is a wilderness, and they liked the way Egypt looked. They didn't like the menu. They were fed manna. Every day it was manna. I mean, how many ways can you prepare manna? <laughs> manna loaf? Fried manna? Baked manna? Day after day. And they griped about it. <laughs> and they turned against Moses. I mean, one of the ways you can identify a leader, is he's got the arrows in his back. <laughs> and they griped and they complained. They were like children on a long trip sitting in the back of the car. Mama, Billy hit me. Are we there yet? I mean, it went on and on. And finally, God just got sick of it. He stopped the car. <laughs> <laughs> and he sent snakes into that camp. I mean, poisonous snakes. Snakes that had fire in their mouths. And they bit the people. Many of them died. And some of them who didn't die wished they were dead. And they went to Moses. Go to God. Get rid of these snakes. And so God went uh, Moses went to God, and God said, all right, uh, put up a pole. The top of the pole, you take a, a, a bronze snake, you put it up there, Whoever looks at that snake will live. That's a weird way to heal a snake bite. But it worked. I mean, the snake on the t- top of the pole was the instrument of redemption. Snakes on the ground were the instrument of death. The snakes on the ground were the evidence of God's judgment. Snake on that top on the top of that pole. The evidence of God's salvation. The people looked. They lived. Well, I imagine a couple of weeks later when they were breaking camp, somebody said, you know, we ought to take that bronze snake with us. So they wrapped it in styrofoam. They gave it to one of the families. You guys are the keepers of the snake. Somebody lugged it for 38 years through the uh, wilderness. I imagine when he got through the 38 years, he said to his son, Son, this is our sacred responsibility. You carried a snake. He did, through the conquest. All the way through the judges, 400 years. Into the reign of Saul and David. And then finally, when Solomon became king, he built the temple. And the curator of the temple <laughs> found that bronze snake and apparently he put it up on a pole. And I imagine he did it because he wanted it to be an object lesson to the people. And It worked. You can imagine a father and son coming to the uh, temple and... Son looks up and says, Hey, look, look, look That look, that's, a, that's a snake on top of that pole. How come there's a snake up there? Son, that's a very important snake. You could look at that snake up close, you could see the thumbprint of our leader, Moses. And he'd tell him the story. So the snake that in the past had been the object of. Deliberance now became an object lesson to point back to what God had done. But after it was there a while, as the people came to the temple, they began to light incense to that snake. And now the snake that had been the object of redemption and the object lesson of what God had done in the past had become an object of worship. Hezekiah knew it. Had to destroy it and so he took the snake, he smashed it into pieces said it's not hush, on it's just a piece of metal (laughs) you know as I well as I do, times change, people don't I mean I'm sure there were people who formed committees the SOS committee, save our snake (laughs) there were others uh, who you know passed out petitions I mean, they'd rather get rid of Hezekiah than get rid of that snake. (laughs) But Hezekiah had to destroy it. If there was going to be a fresh, new working of God, that old snake, good old snake, had turned bad. Had to destroy it. We've been dealing with... um, Good snakes turn bad for centuries. Jesus had to deal with it. Some of the major opposition to Jesus is the group we call the Pharisees. No way they were good old snakes. They may have gone back to the time of Ezra. They were laymen. And they wanted to see righteousness established in the nation. And so what they said was let's take every part of life and turn it to God. But when people sit down to eat have them wash their hands ceremonially and that would remind them of the need that they have of cleansing before God. That's not a bad snake. That's a good snake. You use the meal to remind people of God. But when Jesus and his... uh, Band came along. They walked through the fields and took wheat, didn't wash their hands. (laughs) The Pharisees were furious. I mean, he didn't wash his hands. It's not hygiene, you know. It's just ceremonially. And they were furious. In fact, they were so devoted to that old snake of theirs, That here in their presence is the son of God. And they missed them completely. And that's why Jesus said they were snakes. They were a generation of vipers. But when good snakes turn bad. You got to deal with them or you'll miss what God's doing. When the early church began. It evidently met on uh, Saturday evening. It was the Sabbath. And then as they uh, came together somebody said, you know we believe that uh, Jesus completed the promise of the Sabbath giving us rest. Wouldn't it be better if uh, we met on Sunday? Or oh, the first day. <laughs> That's when Jesus arose. <laughs> that motion didn't pass unanimously. There were some people who said, you can't do that. I mean, uh, Sabbath goes back to the law, back to creation. Can't do that. And they... Uh, opposed him. Uh, That day was so sacred to them it was a good snake turned bad. And for the rest of the book of uh, Acts Paul is pursued by Judaizers. That's another name for people who worship old snakes and the opposition he got every city he went into they came tried to tear down what he had built up and then uh, somebody in the church suggested that instead of the evening they worship in the morning sunrise service because back in the book of Malachi, it talked about the sun of righteousness arising with healing in his wings. So they met in the morning. When they met, there were ingredients in their service. They started with the breaking of bread. And then they uh, had the reading of the scriptures. And then they had teaching and they had prayers they shared this common meal of course they sang Uh, the singing was chanting the Psalms of the Old Testament and they did that for a long time and then somebody at the end of the first century said you know these, this chanting is fine but um, people like Greek music I mean that's what's going on today can't we have hymns with Greek music no hear me well nothing wrong with chanting a Gregorian chant is beautiful <laughs> but there was a lot of conflict over that shows you how immature the first century church was <laughs> I mean here's a little island of truth in the midst of a sea of paganism they're fighting over music (laughs) but that was a good snake to turn bad it almost derailed the working of God in the ancient world boy you gotta deal with something like that and then they went for what another 200 years (laughs) they were doing the Greek melodies and somebody said you know this Greek stuff is all right, but (laughs) the people love Roman marching songs I mean that's the music today Uh, couldn't we you know compose some hymns to (laughs) marching song oh no God likes Greek music we've been doing it for 200 years we're not going to If we change, we're going to destroy worship. And once again, good snake, good music turned bad. Got in the way of what God was going to do. I mean, we've been dealing with good snakes turned bad for centuries you come to the 18th century the 1700s early in the 1700s uh, there were two brothers John and Charles Wesley they uh, they were young men who grew up in a pious family they were trained in uh, the religion and in the custom of the day they were by anybody's outside looking at them they were Christians they actually came to the colonies in the United States to preach to the Indians and on the way home uh, John Wesley was impressed in the middle of a storm with the Moravians who had some peace that he didn't have and when he got to London for a few weeks he went to Aldersgate and he heard Luther's preface to the book of Romans (laughs) and he said found his heart strangely warmed and John Wesley was changed up until that time as a clergyman he read all his sermons that was the custom of the day but he wanted to reach the minors (laughs) that didn't work so he became a very extemporaneous preacher his brother Charles is a musician he composed songs some of the hymns were composed to the melody of the drinking songs the miners sang when they went to the tavern. (laughs) I mean, they understood that music. We don't think of them as drinking songs. Oh, can it be that I should... Man, they they slug beer to that before they got (laughs) over. I mean, that's... But the the traditional snake worshipers in the church rejected John and Charles Wesley. And they preached out in the fields not because they liked air conditioning, but because the people in the churches were hanging on to old, dead snakes when God was doing something new. Over in this country, at the same time, It's what historians call the Great Awakening. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitefield. Edwards is a brilliant intellect of his time, but he preached a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And wherever he preached it, (laughs) things happened. George Whitfield, is an evangelist. He came over from Britain, made five different trips. And when he was here, he preached about 80% of all the colonists, riding on horseback. And wherever he went, there was a moving of God. In fact, so much so that uh, secular historians call it the Great Awakening. You'd think everybody before that, huh? I mean, everybody for Great Awakening. Boy, don't bet the grocery money on that. The the churches, many of them opposed it. We had old lights and new lights. (laughs) We had folks who were hanging on to the old dead snakes that had turned bad. And the new lights. And the big issue was the new lights were emotional. Can't have that. And as a result... (laughs) God did a great work at that time. But that many, many of the churches missed it. In fact, in New England, where I spent some time, there were three great movings of God. All of them opposed by some of the churches. And one of the things you'll see in New England is that many of the churches are as dead on the inside as the graveyard on the outside. Because when God was coming through and doing something new and different, They couldn't give up the old snakes that had turned bad. At the end of the uh, 18th century, there was uh, Robert Rakes. (laughs) Robert Rakes lived at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And children in the Industrial Revolution worked six days a week, usually as much as 12 hours a day and Robert Rake said we got to help those kids (laughs) so on Sunday we could have a Sunday school he meant a Sunday school teach them to read to write religion talk about Jesus and it worked Sunday school movement (laughs) moved through England and it it came to the United States came to New York City the churches in New York, many of them, would have nothing to do with it. They said, if we let those urchins into our church, they won't know how to behave. They'll destroy the furniture. And the Bible says, you got to do things decently and in order. <laughs> By the way, whenever you find... the. Uh, good snake turned bad. There's usually a Bible verse hanging around this. <laughs> God used it, but they missed it. When a good snake turns bad, you've got to deal with it. In my lifetime, <clears throat> I've only been part of one revival. And that is that the people that were called hippies. Flower people. In the 1960s, on a Christmas vacation, I was invited to go out to California to minister to those folks. Probably had uh, three or four hundred of them there. (laughs) Long hairs, sandals. I got up to speak. They introduced me. I gave it my best shot. and When I was through leader of the group said, uh, well, uh, Mr. Robinson's finished teaching us right for now. We're going to sing some songs. He'll be back to teach us again. <laughs> he didn't say that. I, I mean, He never told me about it. So I got up and tried it again. Taught him some more. I did it that that morning with a break for lunch. I did it all afternoon. I did it in the evening. And they wanted it. They sat there. They would take notes. They would listen. And then the following day, many of them went back to Haight-Asbury and other places to witness to their friends about Jesus Christ. (laughs) It was a revival. It was a moving of God. But when those people tried to come into our churches, no way. They didn't want people with beards and long hair they stood at the door wouldn't even let him in I mean here was God doing a work among the street people and the churches were so busy with those dead snakes that they missed that working of God quite frankly I think we may be in danger of that today There is a moving of God among young people. The Christian college campuses, it's (laughs) days of revival. But it's also true in the secular world. If you listen to the music of the secular world, it's music of despair music of suicide of death I mean they are asking our questions they just don't believe that we have the answers the whole question of meaning <laughs> we have the answer we do I think that they don't turn our way some of my students uh, told me uh, of a pastor who um, liked to tell stories to children on Sunday morning. He'd have kids come up and they'd just sit around. He said, Boys and girls, I want to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you about a, a little creature that lives in the yard that has a big bushy tail. Anybody have an idea what I have in mind? Note takers. So I'm thinking of a little little creature that has a big bus- bushy tail. He loves to eat nuts. Anybody? No? I'm thinking of a little creature who um, <laughs> lives in the yard, has a big bushy tail, eats nuts, loves to climb trees and jump from tree to tree. Anybody have any idea who I have in mind? And one kid put his hand up to get him out of his misery. He said, I, I know the answer's got to be Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> I'd like to borrow that punchline. Because I think there are a lot of people out there, I know there are people out there, who think that perhaps the answer could be Jesus. But when they look at our churches looks like old dead snakes to them. Don't misunderstand me. This is not a diatribe against the past or somehow an attack on traditions we have a great history, we should honor it, we have traditions from which we can learn but when you take from the altar of the past be sure to take the fire and not the ashes and may God help us to know the difference Bravehearted Voices is brought to you by the ministry of Deeper Christian in partnership with Eldersley Discipleship. Our passion is to help you grow spiritually by providing Christ-centered resources, discipleship and training in the Word of God and the victorious life of Christ. Our agenda is to bring back the stuff of old, the sort of Christianity that is lived out with the gusto of heaven and actually and practically works. For more, visit BraveHeartedVoices.com.